it's good to be home. And it's good to be with you, really. Thank you very much for the invitation to worship with you this Sunday. If for nothing else, to give me an opportunity to thank you for your faithfulness in God's global mission through this little denomination called the Covenant Church. I get, to, I get the privilege, I've had the privilege the last four years and an annual meeting, they re-elected me for another four years um, to, uh, to, to, to oversee all that the Covenant Church does around the world. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. It, it takes a toll on you. I, I travel a lot. Delta Airlines absolutely loves me. Um, and uh, and uh, it, it's, 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 it's life-saving and faith-strengthening, really, for me to be able to see what God is doing in and through this little denomination uh, across cultures and around the world. So thank you for whatever part you are playing um, in, in making that possible. You know, for those of you who were in Omaha for the annual meeting, or for those of you who know what transpired, you know that the ECC made some incredibly hard and painful decisions. You know, people are hurting and angry and confused about it all. And the media has not been... uh, has not been kind. Now, I'm not going to assume that everyone um, here knows or even wants to know what I'm talking about, and I don't plan on sharing any more than I am right now. But, you know, being in the thick of it myself uh, last week, so fresh in my mind, my heart, I come to you quite sad and disheartened and a little discouraged. And I mention this to you, first of all, because I don't want to be anything but honest and transparent with my covenant family. But second, I'm sharing this with you because my state of mind and heart has undoubtedly informed what I feel led to share with you this morning. I was actually preparing a message that had something to do with the 4th of July, which just passed, uh, about how to practice mission as a follower of Jesus in today's polarized America. But truth to tell, I don't feel very rah-rah missioned right now. Since the annual meeting, I've been praying prayers like, Lord, speak your word to a shell-shocked and divided people. Which is not not a missional prayer, but not directly, I suppose. This kind of praying has led me to a familiar place. It has led me to the green pastures, still waters, and right paths of Psalm 23. And I'd like to share with you this morning some some thoughts from that famous psalm. I'm going to read it for you. Some of you may have it even uh, memorized, but I'm going to read it. you, You can never read Psalm 23 enough. So I'm reading from the NRSV, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. What is it about this psalm that has ministered to people over faith across time and generations? Even people who say they don't have faith are inspired by the the poetry of this psalm. But for followers of Jesus, this psalm is better, it's not just good poetry. Psalm 23 is the definitive biblical declaration of this thing called faith. I love the name of your church. That's what Psalm 23 is about. It's about faith. Psalm 23 is at the core about the tenacity of faith in the Lord who is our shepherd in times of great trial and great need. And the basis of this kind of faith, the fact that God absolutely and unconditionally loves us. God loves me. God loves you. Belief in this simple, profound truth ensures victory come hell or high water in life and in death. This is what Psalm 23 tells us. Have faith that God loves us. And I hope each of us and all of us, regardless of sex, race, class, age, sexual orientation, and even political affiliation, believes this to be true. Yes, Yes. Republicans and Democrats, God loves you. You know, I think deep down we believe this, that God loves us. But the question I ponder with you this morning is how does God's love show up in times of trouble? And as I reflect on Psalm 23, a picture of this God of unconditional love begins to form. I see first a picture of a loving God who comforts us. David begins the song with, the Lord is my shepherd. And then proceeds to describe God leading him to green pastures, still waters, and right paths. Now, scholars aren't sure where to place this psalm historically in David's life, but he was old enough to have enemies, right? And he was running from them. I picture David with with panic in his eyes, breathing heavily, heart racing, and hope diminishing when he runs right into a lush green field, a quiet place near a stream, and he senses that it was God who, who guided him there. Stopped in his tracks by pure awe, he affirms, the Lord is my shepherd. And in so doing, David brings himself to a place of unconquerability. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. I will fear no evil. I will fear nothing. Let's note here 
that it's God's shepherd care, God's comfort, that produces this fearlessness in David. See, we often think of comfort as soft and cuddly and fluffy. Um, But in this psalm, God's comfort produces strong, sturdy, unwavering, tenacious faith, enabling David to overcome the fear of being destroyed by his enemies. Imagine fearing nothing, not even death itself. Imagine that. God's comfort produces that kind of faith. For if God is for us, the Apostle Paul penned hundreds of years later, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Anthony, do you say amen around here? Okay. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, faith is a Faith is a powerful thing. It enables us to do things that our natural, fearful little selves wouldn't even consider. Faith enables us not only to walk through our own personal tragedies, it also empowers us to go and serve others in the name of Jesus among the unlovely, the sick, the outcast, the dangerous. Now at this point, I want to I want to give a shout out to our 125 missionaries who serve across cultures and around the world in over 50 countries. A particular shout out to Anna and Peter Kim, whom you as a church support, for serving in a country that has clamped down on religious activity, imprisoning Christians and demolishing churches. A shout out to the Covenant Church in Congo in partnership with churches like Faith Covenant in Sumner, Washington that have together provided access to clean water to over 60,000 people in the northwest region of one of the poorest countries in the world through a program called Covenant Kids Congo. Thank you for your participation in that. 60,000 people now with water, 140,000 more to go in that region where we work. Whenever I need a real-life picture of faith and action, I just think about our global missionaries and ministries and the churches that support them. So again, thank you for your faithfulness and your participation. Ironically enough, God's comfort helps us by faith to get out of our own comfort zones. Do you hear that? It's... God's comfort helps us to get out of our own comfort zones. That's tweetable for anybody who's doing that. (laughs) God's comfort enables us by faith to get out of our own comfort zones. By faith, by this kind of faith in the shepherd's comfort, David was able to walk through a deep, dark valley. Now, I suspect that our valleys are not like David's valley. His was enemies in hot pursuit of him. What about us? What comes to mind when we think about the valleys of the shadow of death that we've walked through or are walking through or walking through with others? I think of the two pastors whom we removed from the list of covenant ministers and the church that we removed from our roster of covenant churches at the annual meeting. No matter where you stand on the issue, the decisions have led many people to walk through deep valleys. 
I think of the children at the U.S.-Mexican border. Again, no matter where we stand politically on the immigration issue. I think of the growing racial divide in our country. I think of family members, my own family, who are making really poor choices. I think of the depressed and the despondent among us. If, I had a, if, I had, if we had time in a cordless mic, I'd take it around so we can listen to each other. And I'm sure that we would hear plenty more tragedies and losses that, that you've experienced. And the death of a, of a loved one to the painful experience of divorce or the discouragement of unemployment, etc. These and, and, and all of these and, and, and each of these are deep, dark valleys that we all go through at one time or another. But hear the good news, friends. The same God of comfort whom David depended on is here in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord is still the shepherd, we too can walk through the valley of the shadow of death fearlessly and confidently. Amen. Now by this, I do not mean that we shouldn't grieve. Okay? Grief in all of its various stages, is not contrary to faith. I repeat, grief is not contrary to faith. In fact, I believe God invented grief precisely to help us express ourselves appropriately in times of tragedy. In other words, healthy grieving is a a form of God's comfort In hard, difficult times, unfair times, we're supposed to cry, right? We're supposed to feel pain, to be sad, to to rend our garments like they used to do in the Old Testament. Don't you feel like doing that sometimes? Just taking your shirt and just... If I was braver, I'd do it right now. You know, just... That's called good grief, folks. We're supposed to wail and lament and scream when, when things are bad. That's not contrary to faith. That's called grief. It's okay. One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture to me is John eleven thirty five, 35, when it says that upon the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. His tears validate our tears, our pain, when we're going through something. So friends, in the confidence of God's comfort, let's let's grieve and grieve well, not only for ourselves when we walk through our own valleys, but also for others as they walk through theirs. God's love manifests by way of comfort, which produces great faith and good grief to endure life's hardships. It also manifests by way of provision. Another part of the picture of the God of love in Psalm 23 is God's provision, which also helps to produce great faith. Listen again to the second half of Psalm 23. I'm just going to read verses 5 and 6. It says, "You You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Here, the image of the shepherd is overshadowed by another image, the figure of a benevolent king who provides all that we need and more to be victorious over our enemies. Actually, the king uh, image only... um, only overshadows the modern image of shepherd, which in our 21st century mind is limited to some kind of herdsman in a rural setting. But in David's day, the shepherd metaphor was commonly applied to political leaders. So for us postmoderns to get the full picture of God in Psalm 23, the translation of verse 1 um, shouldn't, be the, shouldn't just be the Lord is my shepherd, it should be the Lord is my shepherd king. Shepherd King. I really like that. And speaking of metaphors, in verses 5 and 6, there are a ton of them. It's amazing to me how many images David fits into into two verses. In fact, the professor in me has wondered at times if Psalm 23 is a horrible case of mixed metaphors. (laughs) I mean, I've marked up many a student paper for mixed metaphors. A few of them I can remember uh, in student papers. Um, The church is a safe harbor from the raging fires of life. The spirit blows unpredictably, like the ocean. Or, God is not deaf. He sees our every move. I marked down those papers a little bit. (laughs) And if I didn't know about the king image at play here in verses 5 and 6, I would talk David some points too for using mixed metaphors. I mean, preparing a table in the presence of my enemies, anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows, goodness and mercy following me around as I dwell in the house of the Lord. What is going on here? But to the ancient reader, all of these are related to royal life. The table in the presence of one's enemies is victory over those enemies. Being anointed by oil is being authorized to represent the king. And because of that, his cup overflows, meaning that he has divine blessing in abundance to share with all. That he'll experience only goodness and mercy from here on and that he will dwell in the palace of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd king. Who with authority gives us all we need to live victoriously amid life's hardships and pain? In other words, if I place my faith in the God who provides abundantly, then I will have what I need to get through whatever difficulty is before me. Bring it on. Life, is that all you've got? The God I worship is the benevolent king who will give me all that I need, not just to endure, but to eventually experience complete and total victory over that which is trying to overtake me. Again, again, this doesn't mean that we can't cry and moan and become weak-kneed with grief over terrible and profound losses. Cry. 
people of God. Wail even. Where black scream out, why, oh Lord, have you forgotten me? You think our God can take that? If the Psalms teach us anything, they teach us how to be honest before God, to ask God hard, anguish-filled questions, to argue with God. It's okay. As kids of the king, we can do that. God, our shepherd king, will not strike us down with lightning. God, our shepherd king, can handle our anger, our confusion, our questioning. Just through our grief, not in spite of it, that we get through it. Let's remember, according to Psalm 23, that our shepherd king is going to give us all that we need and more to eventually come out victorious. Trusting in God's provision produces the kind of faith that can sustain us. It's so interesting to me that some of the times I felt strongest in my faith were during times of grief. Can anybody relate to that? (laughs) And I'm convinced that part of the reason is because I experienced God's provision in special ways during that time. I remember a few years ago when I lost my older brother, Alex. He was a journalist here in Seattle, Alex Tizon. Um, To some mysterious disease, I I don't even know what it was today. Um, how my brothers and sisters in the covenant came alongside me and my family. We needed to find a, uh, a venue for a memorial service here in Seattle, where he lived. So I called your superintendent, Greg Yee, and in a matter of minutes, he called me back with a, a church that we could use. And it was available because then interim pastor Rick Mylander of Newport Covenant in Bellevue made it available. Then knowing that I was in no shape to do the service, Pastor Jim Sakara of Cascade View Covenant in Vancouver volunteered to officiate. And this is not to mention the, the, the hundreds, literally hundreds of cards and phone calls and emails and food that we received from fellow Coventers. I, still, I think I still have some lasagna in the freezer. <laughs> I saw in all of these things the shepherd king deploying his people to fill every need that the Tizon family had during that shocking time of loss. Because of God's provision through our covenant family, I found the strength to move on. The Lord is my shepherd king. Say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd king, I shall not want. Psalm 23 is about sturdy, powerful, tenacious faith, which is strengthened by the shepherd king's comfort and provision. This faith not only enables us to take on what life hands us, it also inspires us to do extraordinary things in the world, as Hebrews 11 can attest, right? In in that chapter, by faith, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, and many others were able to do what they did to advance God's mission. Faith not only enables us to endure valleys, it also enables us to move mountains. (laughs) 
Church, I, I'm still not sure why I sensed strongly that this was the word I was supposed to share with you this morning. Again, for me, it felt right, given my own broken heart from the way our annual meeting went last week. But what about you? Are you going through a particularly hard season in your life? Have you lost a loved one lately? Are you suffering a sickness that won't go away? Have you been looking for a job for way too long? Or is work really intense and, and, and hard and, and not fun at all? Are you lonely? Depressed? Well, hear the good news. The shepherd king is here ready to bring you comfort and providing all that you need. And because of that, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear not. Fear not. Stand strong through your grief. Bathe in God's unconditional love. Leave here today with the power of faith in the shepherd king and resolve to move mountains. And God's people said. Let's pray. We cling to you, O Lord, during times of heartbrokenness and sadness and pain. Thank you that you do not leave us during those times. Thank you that you draw near, in fact, to us. And you enable us to experience you in profound and surprising ways during those times of loss. Oh, Lord, our shepherd king, we bow down to you. We renew our faith in you. Help us, help us to walk out of this place with a resolve to walk strongly and confidently and fearlessly because of who you are. In the name of Jesus, pray. Thank you.